Hello, good afternoon. It is July 8th. And if you're here, you're here to get real because this is IAB Real. It's where the leaders of the Interactive Advertising Bureau and the IAB Tech Lab get together to get real with each other, get real with our industry about what's going on in the wild and woolly world of digital media advertising and marketing. I'm Randall Rothenberg, I'm the CEO of the IAB, and I'm here today, as I am almost every week, with our president, David Cohen. David, how are you today? I am superb, thank you for asking. Well, thank you for responding. <laughs> um, I thought that we might open today a little bit, you know my favorite word, orthogonally. Yes, I like that. To some of the, uh, the things that we've been discussing in the past, but not, not directly. I wanted to talk to you about you. Wow. Now, yeah. Can I lay down? I have a couch, actually. Maybe we could do that. Maybe we could have a therapy session. Yeah, but the thing is, if you sit up, you don't have to pay me the 400 <laughs> Okay. Great. So uh, what I'm interested in is you've now been in this role as president of the IEB for a little bit more than four months now. You started actually three months formally, although you started informally a month before, and you started informally about a week or 10 days before we all went into lockdown and quarantine. So yeah. there are all kinds of things I wanted to talk to you about. But one I, I wanted to ask you is just simply your initial thoughts about coming from the advertising agency business into the world of trade associations. I mean, on the one hand, there's something very similar, at least in the sense that these are client service businesses. Uh, we're working with a lot of different stakeholders uh, who have lots of different issues. On the other hand, I'm sure they're different from each other. So, so tell me what your initial thoughts and observations have been about changing careers. So can I ask a question back before I answer that? Is this uh, typically how it's supposed to be? Is this uh, the past three or four months what it, uh, what it normally is like? Um, with the exception of the fact that we usually see each other in the flesh. I yes, okay, I'm, I'm half joking. So yeah. I think that there's, um, there's many similarities, honestly, um, and as some things that are similar but are, uh, I guess, heightened uh, in this role. So, you know, at the agency, um, I'll talk about when I was last at the agency at the Mag as the Magna level, at a holding company, you have lots of clients. You know, we, we had two or 300 clients that we had to service. So that's a, that's a lot of clients. It's not quite the 750 clients that we have to satisfy here. So, um, and inevitably, uh, there are people with different perspectives, different points of view. You can't necessarily keep happy, people happy all the time. So I think, I think that's a similar, but it's taken to a different level uh, on, the, on the trade level, trade association level. The other thing that strikes me uh, as an agency, um, you know, we were told all the time when we were pitching new business by the pitch consultants that you take uh, any agency presentation, a pitch presentation, and you take the logos off of it, uh, and you have the next one come in and take the logos off of it. Everyone's saying exactly the same thing. Everyone has their own secret sauce, their own source of data, their own technology. People are better than everyone else. So there's a lot of uh, sameness uh, there. I genuinely believe, and I could just be kind of three or four months in and drinking my own Kool-Aid, that there is a significant point of difference uh, with trade associations. There's different kind of 
perspectives, composition. So the competitive pressure at an agency was that I had to beat uh, another agency. In this role, it feels like the competitive pressure is more kind of the industry changing and being able to kind of uh, guide our members appropriately. So the, the competitive pressures are, are definitely different. Other things that are the same, fire drills, points of view, thought leadership required, um, prioritization, all that stuff I think is, is relatively similar. What about, what about the, the, the issue of defining the value that you create? This, this has always struck me as being um, kind of a, a, a central point of difference, but I'm, but I'm not sure, which is why I'm asking. So uh, at least at the agency side, your commercial business, you're working with clients. One of the things you're always doing in every single one of those new business pitches, and then in every subsequent presentation you have with a client after you win the client is, here is the exact value we created for you. Here's how much your sales went up. Here's how much your, uh, uh, how much more profitable you became. And then you make the assertion, and we contributed to that. Whether that's true or not, you can make the assertion. It's harder to do with it with a trade association. It's harder to uh, to point to something like the Digital Advertising Alliance, which we created with the four yeah. A's and the A and A, you know, more than a decade ago, and say, hey, you know, because the DA exists, you saved X amount of money, X billions of dollars uh, collectively. Hard to do that kind of stuff. Are you finding that? to be uh, uh, difficult in this position? Or are you finding that we just don't explain it well enough and that there are better ways to do it? No, I, I think that that is, I think you're right. I think that that is a, it's a harder thing to uh, quantify. I mean, we, we, I know you and I, I get notes all the time about how helpful kind of whether it's a piece of research or something is in kind of planning their business or planning for the future or kind of what strategic priorities they should have, but putting a, a, a quantitative metric on that is, uh, is super hard. And on the agency side, um, it's much easier. You know, for years it was, um, can you buy the same stuff that you bought last year for cheaper? And that's very easy to measure. Uh, it then moved to kind of sales or sales surrogates. Are you moving the cash register? Are you driving leads? Are you driving test drives, showroom visits? And all that stuff is uh, reasonably easy to, to measure also. Um, you know, I, I think that it's, uh, no, it is, it is definitely a challenge. And as you, uh, I'm sure know, we're, we're in the process of kind of just thinking about what's the back half of the year look like? What does 2021 look like? Uh, we're, we're overtly going and asking. So we're asking our members, what are the things that we're doing that are providing value to you? And I think that we'll hopefully get some good, uh, good feedback uh, on that, but yeah, it's, uh, that's a good point. It is harder to uh, quantitatively measure uh, your impact on the market. One, one of the things that I, I recognized very early uh, in my tenure here uh, is that different people at our member companies touch very different pieces of the elephant. And, and so the, the trade association means different things to all of them and reconciling those is hard. It's hard for two reasons. Uh, one is that a, a chief revenue officer has very, very you know, different uh, needs and expectations and, and metrics than, say, a general counsel. 
Um, so that, that's part one. Uh, part two is I always found, or, or very often found, that we, the trade association, uh, uh, were forced into a position of having to do a lot of the client's integration for them. That we're the ones who had to train them how to talk to each other within the organization and to show why the issues that the general counsel or the head of the Washington office is dealing with are not just relevant to what the chief revenue officer is doing, but crucial to what the chief revenue officer is doing. And so th this idea that we're you know, effectively a, a surrogate management integration body for our members is something that I'm not sure I had fully grokked before I got to the job, but it's something that I, I faced every day in the 14 years since. It's totally true. And just to kind of compare that to agencies, that is very, very analogous to uh, agencies because agencies also similarly deal with uh, technical infrastructure on the part of clients, data experts, uh, CMOs, heads of media, brand experts. So, you know, and often at the agency, we would bring together um, clients because the only thing that was binding them together was us, was the agency. We were the kind of connective tissue that either within a client was kind of connecting the dots or cross-client. So how could a CPG manufacturer, a retail partner, a travel partner, how could they benefit from each other with the only kind of uh, similarity being kind of us as the agency? So I think that's a, that's a very, very good valid point and very similar to uh, the agency model. Yeah, it's also, it, what's also interesting is the, the push and pull, the tugging of the question of um, you know, expertise, uh, versus uh, kind of general management well-roundedness. It's another thing that I find that we confront um, every day. Um, what I mean by that is um, for years and years and years and years in the, uh, in the marketing world, uh, marketers were experts in advertising. Advertising, media advertising was the primary expression of a, of a marketing program. So most senior marketers, most CMOs, once that title got to be used, um, and the people on their teams were experts in ads and advertising agency relationships. Uh, that gradually grew much, much more complex over the years. Um, you know, when trade promotions, for example, began rising as a really, not just an essential part of what brand marketers did, but it, it really replaced media advertising as the primary function, that called up a whole new set of, uh, of, 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 of specialization, expertise that marketers had. Um, and now in this day and age, uh, a, a good marketer really has to be an expert, not just in ads and not just in media and not just in trade promotions, but as you were suggesting, has to be an expert in data, has to be an expert in technology has to be an expert in supply chain management. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, actually, has to be an expert in <laughs> sociology and anthropology. And it's hard to find those people. I, I, I think the brands are evolving in this direction. The agencies, I think, are evolving more in this direction. Publishers, I know, are evolving in this direction. But that's been a bit of a, a, a pushing, uh, pushing a boulder uphill. There aren't that many senior marketers that I have found, and thus not enough agency executives I've found who have that well-rounded background and expertise who've, who've kind of run the various stations of the cross 
in general management before becoming a CMO. Totally. And I'll go back to the, I'll go to the way back machine for like 15 years ago, um, you know, on the agency side, uh, there was this debate when digital was kind of becoming uh, all the rage, you know, do you need generalists and specialists? Do you need people that kind of understand the holistic kind of media and marketing uh, landscape, or, or do you need people that are deeply steeped in digital? I know we went through many, many different iterations uh, over several years where we thought that everyone is digital. Let's let's kind of like every digital is everything. Everyone is digital, and we found that that time that everything got kind of boiled down to the lowest common denominator. So we were not doing anything particularly innovative. Everything was just a series of banners and buttons that were being bought, and that and we learned that you actually need both. You need folks that understand enough to be more than dangerous across all channels, but you need deep levels of expertise. And there's, that's never been more true than now as it's gotten much more complicated. You need folks that can go deep in what is the future of CTV or the future of podcasting or the future of social. Uh, and we've seen lots of kind of all these specialty areas. You need a general practitioner and you need a brain surgeon. So I think that that's actually true. So, you know, there's a general generational change that's happening now in the agency business. Uh, people who are uh, uh, more or less digital natives, some cases pure digital natives, in some cases they might have started out in television or magazines, but they got into digital very early yeah. in their agency careers. They're now rising to become uh, heads, not just of agencies, but of holding companies. Uh, you know, Mark Reed, who is a colleague of mine at Booz Allen and as a, a superb, you know, a brilliant uh, uh, young management consultant is now the uh, CEO of WPP Group. Um, Philippe Krakowski is the CEO of uh, IPG. I began working with Philippe when he was the, the new uh, head of PR for Levine, Huntley, Schmidt and Beaver uh, back, in the, uh, back in the 80s. Uh, we see folks like Jackie Kelly, who is as close to a digital native as we got in, you know, yeah. our business, you know, rising into the leadership of Dentsu uh, Aegis. I'm wondering, as you look at these individuals and you look at this generational shift, how do you think the holding companies will change? How do you think the relationship between holding companies and the agencies within them will change? If you're going to kind of project five years in the future, what does it look like? Boy, uh, that's, a, that's a super question. You know, there's a couple of things that you could probably um, almost take to the bank. Uh, the, um, the things that are super um, high uh, intensity and taxing from a human capital standpoint uh, on the agency side, billing and reconciliation, kind of the, the menial tasks uh, we've been talking about automating them for, oh, uh, better part of a decade. Uh, and we are starting to see substantive progress in certain areas. So, you know, JT Batson uh, from Media Ocean now at Hudson MX is really revolutionizing the local uh, media business. It has been, it has been tremendously taxing from a kind of time and resources perspective. And now you could probably do the same effort better with half the resources. So I think that there's some of that uh, that is that is probably is likely going to happen. Now, what does that do? Does that allow agencies to slim down? Probably. Does it allow them to focus on higher value services, more uh, strategic uh, consulting, uh, data uh, management? Um, yes, probably. I think that there will be less of the commoditized activities 
you know, as the world moves more and more programmatic, um, you know, if we look at the digital world, the vast majority of transactions are programmatic, auction-based. You could be the biggest, baddest media buyer that you want to be, and, and the auction is going to determine, uh, you know, the, the price uh, of that kind of thing that you're about to buy. So there is, there's going to become less and less relevance to the kind of antiquated construct of because I'm big and I can buy at mass and scale that I get the best deal. I think that, that will... Let me push you on. Let me push you on that because by uh, yeah. uh, um, when I yeah, first came into IEB in two thousand and seven, um, I brought with me a bunch of work that we had done at Booz Allen and the ANA, the Association of National Advertisers, was uh, one of our clients on that. We had done a big project for them, ongoing project on the evolution of marketing capabilities. We had done a lot of work for Hearst magazines on uh, the evolution of the internet. And one of our earliest conclusions, which we published in a number of places, and I had a number of bylines, which is how I ended up at IEB, where I could summarize in a phrase. And the phrase was, both the media agency of tomorrow and uh, the publisher sales force of tomorrow are going to look a hell of a hell of a lot more like a McKinsey practice or a Booz Allen practice or a BCG practice than they look like the agency of today or the publisher of today. And I honestly thought we were going to start seeing that happen by, you know, 2010. Now here it is 2020, just thinking of the agencies alone. Um, I haven't seen that. I'm still seeing, yes, there's been shrinkage, but you're still seeing a lot of, uh, hand massaging of cranks uh, on Excel spreadsheets by, uh, you know, 25-year-old media planners. Um, you don't see a lot of hiring of top MBAs out at Stanford and Harvard, you know, the way a McKinsey or a BCG would. Um, what's holding the agencies back? What is, you know, they, they still seem to be more buy-sell oriented in the classic definition of buy-sell. Why is that? So uh, this is going to be a very, very um, uh, pedantic answer, and I'm sure it's much more nuanced than this. But if the general way that an agency is compensated is based on an FTE model, uh, which is based on the more time you put on the business, the more you get paid, um, then there is no incentive for an agency to try to do more with less. They, actually, the incentive is to put more people on the business to spend more time cranking the cranks than, uh, than taking people away. So I think that's number one. Uh, number two, I'm not revealing any kind of dirty secret. The kind of the focus on um, margin and extraction of value from agencies has been going on for quite some time. So whether that's looking at overhead or I'm going to only pay a certain amount per kind of level of uh, person, it's been under great pressure. So you kind of get what you pay for. If you're going to pay for a person with three to five years of experience, you're not going to get a McKinsey-like uh, product. So I think that there's, I think that, that those are two things. And we've seen actually over the past couple of years, as you know, these things, we talk about them, they take, they're glacial. They move very, very slowly until they move quickly, right? So we've, we've seen that through the pandemic in, in areas like CTV. We will see the same thing, I think, in terms of compensation models. People are now starting to move more towards um, you know, impact-based compensation, what, whatever that impact is, sales or kind of some, some other kind of 
sales surrogate. And if that's the case, my ability to deliver that for less resource is actually incentivizes me to be smarter, faster, uh, more strategic with better assets than I am today, which is just to be kind of bloated uh, and put more people on the business. So I think that's a very simple answer to a complex question. Yeah, one of the other things that I've wondered about in this context is uh, uh, the rebundling of the agency. It's another thing that I, I wrote about a lot when I was um, still doing my column for Advertising Age, and we did a lot of work, again, kind of thinking this through back at Booz Allen. I brought it into the, uh, into the IEB with me, but the theory of the case uh, that I was uh, kind of trying to articulate was that the unbundling of the agencies under the holding company model made sense uh, given uh, what was happening in terms of the globalization of media companies, especially television companies, and the globalization of brands, but happened at exactly the wrong time because the internet came along as the kind of ultimately integrated medium. Um, and that the idea that you could separate out media procurement uh, from strategy and uh, strategic execution didn't make a lot of sense um, in a, a, a kind of an internet fused world in which the, 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 the strategy, the content of that strategy, the execution of that strategy would be immediately apparent to everybody everywhere, along with the, the, the infinite segmentation that you could do. And so the idea that you could then just hand that off to a media buy uh, arm to execute, just it, it wasn't going to fly. Uh, it's another thing where I've been confounded because I think we've seen lots of examples of what I call phantom rebundling over the years. You know, the idea of uh, media agencies um, hiring their own creative uh, resources uh, has been going on for quite a while. Um, we have digital agencies which are now doing uh, their own media procurement, uh, not, not uh, uh, being forced to give it over to a separate um, global media buying unit but it's still happening slower than I thought. What's your anticipation there? I mean, are we going to see the evolution within the holding companies of just more forced integration of these functions or is it still gonna remain separate the way we've seen it? You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, um, holding companies for when they were kind of conceived was kind of a, uh, it was like a celebrity death match. It was like a UFC, we're gonna put we're gonna have a, we're gonna stack all the kind of agencies in our portfolio and we're gonna put them against each other in a pitch and it doesn't really much matter who wins because the holding company will end up winning. Uh, that's actually changed quite markedly, I would say, over about the past, let's say five to 10 years where it's now much more about collaboration within the holding company and kind of just organizing all those holding company assets for the benefits of clients, which is typically bundling together uh, a variety, so whether it's creative and media or uh, social or search or putting together the best bespoke uh, opportunity for, uh, for clients. I, I think that, you know, I'm surprised actually it's taken as long as, as, as it has uh, as well. I think that, you know, the, it's, it comes back down to commercials, unfortunately. Uh, you know, where is the, where is the value being created? Uh, and the value is largely being created at the media uh, company level. That's where kind of where you've seen the greatest margins, where you've seen the greatest growth, where you've seen the greatest kind of evolution or revolution over the past couple of years using data and technology. Uh, and it's kind of like, is it, is it better kind of commercially or to the bottom line if you stick those two things together 
or is it better to keep them apart and bring them together as needed? And I think just the kind of commercial revenue model has been has been challenging. As the business or has the the marketplace has evolved with dynamic ad insertion and kind of ads that are built on the fly, and it's not just simply about buying the best media plan, but it's about content and context. I do think it's going to become a strategic advantage for those who can figure out the commercials and have the, the proximity of media and creative closer together. So I, I would say in the five-year horizon, which we were talking about before, I have to believe there'll be some notable rebundling that will be happening. I, I would also imagine that, the, uh, that what also needs to get bundled into that is, well, it goes by different names, below the line, shopper yeah. marketing. Um, it, it's almost impossible, especially in the, in the post-COVID world that we're imagining, it, it, it's almost impossible to conceive of that as sitting off to the side. I mean, I must find you know, the language that I grew up using above the line and below the line to be, uh, to be almost um, kind of ahistorically quaint. Yeah, uh, there and, is no line, right? No oh, line anymore. Right? There is no line, but when you think uh, that so much more, let me, let, me, let me start from a different place. It's almost impossible for me to believe that the way we have historically shopped since time immemorial, kind of individuals going into stores or physical marketplaces, I don't think, it's impossible to see that that's going to hold its own. I mean, there'll still be a lot of physical shopping. We will get back to that point. But uh, in the grand tradition of how you're gonna keep them down on the farm once they've seen Paris, you know, how are you gonna get them back into the store once they've seen how easy it is now to get everything you need delivered to you, yeah. that. And so, and I'm not suggesting that it's all gonna be Amazon or it's all gonna be uh, Walmart or it's all gonna be Target online. I think it'll be diversified. But what it clearly argues is that expertise around shopper marketing, supply chain expertise about how delivery and pickup take place, they're gonna be as central to what agencies and publishers do as creative, and media distribution are today. Totally agree. And, and we've seen kind of that whole industry, kind of agencies that have just sprouted up with that as an area of expertise over the past, let's say, three years or so. There's now a whole kind of industry focused on shopper marketing, focused on e-commerce, focused on the, the partners that you're talking about because it's becoming a much more material part of the business. And I think coming out of the pandemic, uh, when people have gotten a taste of the convenience that is afforded by uh, you and your laptop, uh, I agree with you. I think it's going to be a lasting, uh, a lasting effect. So uh, we, we just got told by our bosses that we've got to wrap up. Uh, this flew by again, honestly. I, I, I was, uh, I'm shocked by how, uh, how quickly these sessions we're, go. We're natural podcasters. Oh, clearly. <laughs> of all the things that I am, I'm not sure if I would say that, but okay, if you say so. But let me, let, me, let me hit you with something that uh, we, we hit each other on with some frequency, although we, we, haven't, we don't do this every week. Um, anything that you've been binging on, watching, reading, listening to that's been uh, provoking your interest, stimulating your heart, um, or um, goading your taste buds? Oh, dear. Um, the taste buds are the ones that I typically gravitate towards. I, I have been... Um, I just ordered a case of wine. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer just kind of like sampling. I love when I find diamonds in the rough, like these 
things that you've never heard of that cost uh, $12.99 and are absolutely fantastic. So I just have a case of wine that just got delivered that I'm going to try to, I'm going on vacation next week, as, as you know, so I'm going to take some of that with me and just uh, uh, sample that along the way. I am actually looking for a, a book recommendation, so perhaps you have one of those. There is nothing that I've seen on television other than I watched Hamilton uh, on Disney Plus with the family, uh, which was uh, really fun and uh, everyone kind of got a kick out of that, but no real binging activity uh, as of the moment. Uh, what about you? Having a book recommendation and uh, a binging uh, or eating thing would be good too. Well, so uh, uh, a book recommendation, and I just cracked it open, uh, and it's a book that I learned about from a podcast, uh, is The Hardest Job in the World. Um, and it is by uh, John Dickerson, who is the, uh, the host of Face the Nation, um, a longtime uh, CBS correspondent as well, excellent writer. And it's, uh, it's basically a, a management history of the presidency, the modern presidency. And I got, I'm, you know, I'm fascinated with management theory and practice. I'm fascinated with politics and history. So this, this one kind of like pressed all, all my buttons hearing him talk about it. Um, but I should also give a plug here for the, uh, for the Slate Political Gab Fest, in which uh, Dickerson, uh, David Plotz is now with uh, Business Insider, and um, uh, 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 Emily, uh, why am I blanking on Emily's last name? Um, well, this is terrible. I'm, I'm drawing a blank, even though I know her. Um, so that's a senior moment. Uh, but they've been the, uh, the co-hosts of this uh, podcast for a number of years. It's a weekly offering uh, by, uh, by Slate, uh, and it's about politics and the culture, and it's one of the best, uh, best talk shows I've ever heard. It's, it's kind of ad addictive. And uh, Emily Bazelon, sorry, Emily Bazelon from the, uh, uh, the New York Times Magazine. So the conversation there is great. Um, they have other you know, writers on. And anyway, Dickerson was talking about his book, and it just seemed great. I just started picking it up. It's as great as I thought it would be. So now I'm holding it until I go on vacation because uh, I want it to be my not so guilty, guilty pleasure. Yeah. To add All one right. thing though, I just got a ping from Federal Express relevant to what you just said about wine. My new wine refrigerator oh. has just been delivered downstairs. So, so I'm with you on this one and we will report back. You're all about refrigeration these days, Randy. I like Randy, that. Nice. I'm about refrigeration. I got a new refrigerator <laughs> left. Replaced the one that was getting too uncomfortably noisy for my taste. And now I've got a wine refrigerator to put more room in the new refrigerator. Yes, I love it. I never have to leave the apartment again as long <laughs> as I live. And with that, I'm going to call a halt to this week's edition of IAB Real. David Cohen, thank you for getting real with me. On behalf of the IEB, I want to thank you. I want to thank uh, our audience for uh, listening to us. And I want to invite our audience to come back again and again and again. Because if it's Wednesday and it's the digital industry, IEB Real is here to get real with you. Bye-bye. <laughs>